tonight. I figure we'll tackle one of the most controversial subjects in the church, why not? And then next week we'll cover the next one. Uh, just to keep the, the flow going. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there's a couple here on the table you can get. You know, there's probably been a, a number of times that I've heard, and maybe you have heard, something along this line as, wouldn't you want to have all that God wants for you? And who would say no to that, right? Who would say, no, that's okay. God can keep some of it. I, I don't want all of this. And we're going to talk about the gifts of prophecy and tongues tonight. And, and usually when that kind of question is presented, don't you want everything that God has for you? It is someone who is presenting to us the idea of maybe you don't have all that you should. And again, who could say no to that? I mean, I think all of us could be in agreement that I, I probably don't have <clears throat> the fullness of God that I need in my life. And so there's always that room to say, well, yeah, I do want and need <clears throat> more from the Lord. But then the position goes to a place where it's like, well, this is what you need to get more of God. And usually, if it's coming from a, a Pentecostal realm, it'll be you need to be able to speak in tongues. And that speaking in tongues is equated with the filling of the Spirit. And they'll take you through a number of passages in the book of Acts that shows that the Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues. We've gone through the book of Acts and we've talked about that to some length and saw that not every time did they speak in tongues when the Spirit fell upon them. Thanks, Gil. But many times it did happen. There are other times where they spoke the word of God with boldness. So there's a lot of different things that took place when the Spirit fell upon them that speaking in tongues wasn't the only mark of that. Have you guys heard anything to that extent? Have any of you been confronted, talked to about those kinds of things? What's been your experience in that realm? How do you feel when someone asks you, say, well, do you speak in tongues? Or what have been the questions that they've asked to you guys? Being able to understand all languages? Well, that, that might be part of something. We're going to look into a little bit of what it is. What else have you guys heard from people? Well, we're going to definitely be talking about that. Paul is addressing an issue. Throughout this whole book, that's what he's doing. He's addressing issues that are there. And before we get into this chapter, I want to give a couple of definitions so that we have an understanding as we move forward. The idea of prophecy. Prophecy is to declare the words of God. It's to give God's message. Now, we think of a prophet, our minds automatically go to the Old Testament where they're foretelling the future, and that's definitely included. That's even a part of what takes place in the New Testament. There's Agabus in the book of Acts in chapter 11 where he prophesies and says there's going to be a severe famine, and it came to pass also in chapter 21 where he binds his hands with Paul's belt, and he says the man who owns this belt is going to be bound just like I am, and it's a prophecy of what will happen. And in fact, in that place, he says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. 
much like thus says the Lord that we're used to hearing. And so the idea of prophecy is declaring God's word, and it has to do to some extent with telling what's going to happen, but it also has to do not with just foretelling, but it has to do with declaring or foretelling, proclaiming. It's not always telling the future, foretelling, it's forthtelling, declaring what God would say in a situation. And so that's the idea of prophecy. A prophet is not limited to foretelling the future, but the identity and the role of a prophet is to bring God's word, declare God's message to people. That's the description of what a prophet is. And a gift of prophecy is someone has ability to hear what God would say to a group of people. Maybe it's like Agabus. Hey, there's going to be a severe famine. We need to prepare for it. Maybe it'd be God is trying to stir our hearts in a certain way, and so this is what is necessary for us to do those things. And encouraging us, and we're going to see that there's some examples of what is necessary. The word tongues literally means languages. That's the literal meaning. So does that mean every time the word tongues is used, it means languages? Well, we'll talk about that as well. But I wanted to give that kind of broad definition as we look to these things and begin talking about them so we have kind of an understanding that this is something that God is dealing with with the Corinthian church and for our information as well. We know of the situation in Acts chapter 2 where they were speaking in unknown tongues. And it says in that chapter that we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or our own languages. So there's an instance, like you said, Pat, where it's a matter of someone's language that they fully understand. And we're going to look and see to the extent how that plays out. In verse 1 it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, this is a real important introduction to this chapter, especially coming from the last chapter. Paul addressed in the last chapter the necessity and the supremacy of love above tongues, above words of knowledge. Tongues, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, they're all going to cease. Love doesn't. And as he says, follow the way of love, he's saying, as we just read about this, in other words, like in verse 4 of 13, be patient, be kind, don't be envious, don't boast. Having that be the character of what you're moving forward in, let that be how you proceed. It's going to be enveloped in love. What Paul is dealing with in the Corinthian church is a lot of abuse. People were exalting themselves. We see that throughout the book. Paul is constantly getting to the place where they're to recognize that the needs of others are more important than themselves, just as Jesus gave the example in his crucifixion, just as he talked about in the last few chapters, especially the last chapter, how love is sacrificial, it is giving, it doesn't seek its own, doesn't keep the record of wrongs. That's how we are to move forward. And so here are a group of people that like being boisterous, like being seen, like to flaunt their spirituality. And Paul is telling them, you need to move forward 
in the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And then he says, especially the gift of prophecy. Verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And so now he's giving precedence to one of the gifts over the other. He's telling people that prophecy is more advantageous than tongues, and he tells us why. And he's going to amplify his reasons why throughout this chapter. The obvious ones, he says, a person who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but speaks to God. Now, there are a couple of ways you can interpret this. Does not speak to men, but to God, meaning that whatever he is uttering is directed towards God. In other words, if a person is speaking in tongues, they're not going to be prophesying, but they're going to be basically saying, thus says, you know, this is, I glorify you, God, I honor you. They're going to be speaking as a man to God. That's one ter interpretation. And that's what we do see in the book of Acts in chapter 2, where they each hear them glorifying God in their own tongues. And so they're not speaking towards men, they're speaking towards God. Another interpretation is that only God understands what you're saying. So you're not speaking to men, you're speaking to God. Not that it has to be confined to just the direction of what you're speaking, but it's confined to who really understands it. And that's really what he is saying as far as only God understands it. But whether he means it's to be directional just towards God or not, there's different ways of thinking it. Scripturally, we see that it is usually a man speaking up towards God and giving God praise. And that's kind of what he's saying here. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And so he gives not only some information about tongues, but he gives some information about prophecies that they're for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. If someone tells you something, God gave me this message, and it wasn't strengthening, encouraging, or comforting, there's a good chance it might not have really come from God. In other words, if they're just trying to blast you or make you give them money, you know, I mean, this happens a lot, you know, on TV, those kinds of tele... Thus says the Lord that if you will contribute to my ministry, you know, then no plagues will befall you or whatever. That sounded pretty good, huh? You know, I mean, those kinds of things, as they come out... Well, that wasn't really strengthening me. That wasn't really encouraging or comforting me. I think that's really not the purpose of thus saith the Lord. It's to at least give us understanding and strengthen us in some way. Verse 4, he goes on and he says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. This word edifies, build up, is going to be used a lot in this chapter. This is the point Paul is trying to make. Whatever we do, it is supposed to edify, it is supposed to build up, it is supposed to strengthen those who are there. And he 
tells them that if you speak in tongue while you edify yourself, he doesn't say that's bad, but he says that a person who prophesies edifies the whole church. And he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. So now Paul is giving precedence, but the precedence isn't over prophecy. The precedence is over edification. He's not just saying that prophecy is better than tongues, period. He's saying prophecy is better than tongues unless people know what's going on. If people don't know what's going on, then it's not good. It's not building anybody up. It's not helping the others that are around there. And so the one that helps others, that's greater. Does that make sense to you guys what he's saying? That's good because it's going to get more difficult. <laughs> going to verse 6, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues... What good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge of prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to that speaker, to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Paul is now giving some illustrations of what it is to, to speak in tongues and no one know what's going on. He tells them it's like noise that isn't really music. Have you ever been to maybe it was like a musical and before the musical starts, the, the band is down there in the pit and they're warming up or some kind of orchestra and they're all tuning and they're practicing their arpeggios and they're going through their little exercises and it, it sounds just like a mess. You know, it's, you know, we've got the pump, trumpet going over here and the violins doing this and it just sounds horrific, you know, but then the maestro comes and he does a tap, 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 you know, and they all stop. And then the music starts, and then it's like, oh, it's beautiful. Well, if you don't understand what's going on, it's just noise. But if there is intentionality to it, then it becomes music. If there is the understanding of what's going on, it's music. And he says another illustration, if someone blows a trumpet to go into battle, you know, that battle cry, charge, dun, 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 you know, and there you go, charge. Well, what if the guy just says, I'm going to try a new tune out today? And everyone, all the troops are ready, and he just, you know, does this little jazz number. Do, 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 you know, and everyone's going to look at, was that the trumpet? 
are we supposed to charge? What do we do? You know, and there the guy is jamming, you know, on the mountaintop. No one's going to understand what's going on. There has to be understanding of what is taking place for it to produce what's intended. And then he gives another illustration of, of foreigners. And I think we've all experienced this to some degree, where you've gone and spoken to someone who speaks another language. And how frustrating it is to talk to someone in another language that don't understand what you say. And you think if you just talk louder and slower and use your hands, they will begin to understand. And it's frustrating to, to them, you're a foreigner. To you, them, they're a foreigner. It means I don't understand you. I know that was the case when we were in Haiti. It was like, oh, I wish I could talk to you, but... All I can say is merci, you know, all I can say is thank you. Um, I just didn't know how to communicate. And Paul is saying, what good is it if you can't communicate? What's the purpose if you can't build them up? And there's a couple of things that he says that are important. He says, verse 9, so it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? That word unintelligible, it, it has the idea of clarity. It has the idea of understanding. And that's important because he's going to touch on some more things and then we're going to speak about tongues a little bit more in depth in the next few verses. Verse 13, he says, For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen? To your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying. And, and so Paul seems to be saying here, if you're speaking in a tongue or if you're singing in the spirit, no one's going to understand what's taking place. They're going to hear you, but they don't know what's going on. They won't know whether to say amen or not because there's no understanding. And there's this, under, this differentiating between understanding or with your mind and that with your spirit. And it seems to be that one, you don't understand. Now, what is the gift of tongues? Is it just languages like it is spoken about in second, or second chapter of the book of Acts? The word definitely means languages, but there's a couple of things that make me think that it is more than just that. One of those things is taking place at the end of chapter 12 as he's going in to this discourse. And in chapter 12, verse 28, he says, And in the church God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second of all, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. The word different kinds of tongues means various types of tongues. 
right after he talks about different kinds of tongues, chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men, plural, and of angels. There seems to be a differentiating between tongues that are languages that men understand and tongues that angels understand, or a, a heavenly language. So there's earthly languages and there's heavenly languages, which goes along to what he is saying in chapter 14 in a few places where he talks about praying with understanding or praying in the spirit. Singing with understanding or singing in the spirit. There seems to be this spiritual emphasis and there seems to be a natural emphasis. And so there is the possibility that there are actually different types of tongues. One is speaking in languages that people understand, which is also a gift of miracles. Okay, if, if you don't speak a language and all of a sudden you start speaking a language, that's pretty miraculous. And that's how I would like to learn all the languages, <laughs> as opposed to having to get the Rosetta Stone or whatever and, and start studying. I would just, come on, God, give me that language. You know, it hasn't happened. I, I, would, I would love for it to happen. But again, it's something that God does for a purpose. The purpose isn't so that you can go and travel abroad and be a tourist. The purpose is so that you can build others up. That's what his gifts are for. They're not just for you, they're for others. And so there seems to be this understanding that the gift of tongues has different purposes. And that's going to become even more focused here in a little bit later. Um, the idea of singing in the Spirit, speaking or praying in the Spirit, when you say pray in a tongue, again, you're, what do you do when you pray? Who are you talking to? It's to God, right? So again, we see the direction of the tongue. And this is, again, giving a little bit more credence to the fact that when you speak in tongues, it is towards God. It's not prophetic towards men because every time we seem to see it come up, it's directed towards God in Scripture. We don't see in Scripture someone spoke in tongue and the interpretation was prophetic. You might say, well, I went to this church and that's what happened. Uh, okay. Um, don't know what to tell you. I'm just, you know, this is how it, it plays out in Scripture. And so there's this distinction. And Paul again says, you know, if you don't know what someone's saying, how can you say amen? If someone starts speaking in a tongue, what do you say? Heard this story of a, a Hebrew teacher who was speaking at a Christian church on a, some Hebrew traditions. And the pastor kind of threw him for a loop and says, could you recite as you close just one of the Hebrew prayers? He didn't know any Hebrew prayers. He just knew the language and the traditions. He didn't know any prayers. But he was caught and he didn't know what to say. And so he just figured they don't know what Hebrew is. So I'll just start talking. And so he just started counting in Hebrew. And so he's just saying one, two, three, four, five, six. You know, just kind of counting in Hebrew and everyone after he was done you know no one knew when he was done or whatever they just thought okay that's it well there was one person who knew enough Hebrew 
and afterwards went up to him, smiled graciously, and said, thank you. And he said, 11, 12, 13. <laughs> you see, but the point is, if you don't know what someone's saying, how can you know when to say amen? You just don't know. And so the whole purpose when we are gathered together is to encourage each other. How can we encourage each other if we don't even know what we're saying? Where did I leave off? Uh, let's look at verse 17. You may be giving thanks well enough, but other men, the other man is not uh, edified. Verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And then Paul does this. Paul has just basically said prophecy is more important. You need to have understanding. And it's almost like he catches himself, well, I don't want to make them think that tongues isn't... I thank God that I speak tongues in tongues more than all of you. But then he has to come back to his premise. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue. And so he comes back to understanding that, you know, in his own personal life, this gift of tongues is taking place. Which again brings us to an understanding, if it was just speaking in another language, what would be the purpose of that? But if it is speaking in a heavenly language that is something the spirit within Paul is communicating with the spirit of God, that would be more edifying. That would be more instruction. So it seems like there is a difference between just a language and a quote heavenly language. But Paul seems to say that there's the gift and I use it, but I don't use it when I'm with people. Because I would rather speak five intelligible words of instruction. Do you know any preacher who would just speak five words? You get the emphasis of Paul's point. Then 10,000 words in an unknown tongue in a language that they didn't understand. And so the point here again is it's not that gift of tongues is not appropriate. It's, it has a place. And in your group meeting, it's being taken out of place. Verse 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now what's Paul doing here? He, he's really rebuking them. He's telling them, you guys, grow up in how you think about this. Because you're going on about your gifts and how great you are, but no one understands what's going on. How is that helping? Your, your thinking is immature. You need to develop your thinking in regards to this because it has, it's serving no purpose in the whole community when you get together. And he gives an illustration in the book of Isaiah where he talks about, it's written through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He's talking about a judgment to people who've come in and captured Israel. They speak to them in a language that they don't understand. What good is that? The people of 
Israel didn't understand what was going on. God was using this nation to deal with Israel, but Israel was oblivious to it. Don't you see that they were oblivious and you're being oblivious, just like sometimes kids can be oblivious. They're not thinking things through. They're just reacting emotionally and not thoughtfully. It doesn't end with children, but that's the point. Some grown-ups are that way too. And, and his point here is, you guys, you need to grow up and think how God wants to use you and your gifts in a group setting. Because what you're doing isn't helping anyone. Verse 22. This is going to be interesting. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are all out of your mind? Yes, they will. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is, uh, by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, this scripture, these scriptures seem to be excluding each other. And the very beginning says tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. But then later on he says if an unbeliever comes in and everyone's speaking in tongue, they're going to say you're nuts. So what is he saying? What is the purpose? And there are a number of different explanations. I'll give you the ones that I feel have satisfied me to some extent. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, they all heard them speaking the wonderful things of God with their own tongue, with their own language. It was a sign to them. There are different kinds of tongues. There is a tongue that is a sign to the non-believer. And it is speaking in another language that you don't know. That would be a miracle. That would be a sign. If I went to Haiti again and all of a sudden started speaking Creole, and the people knew I didn't speak Creole, it would be a sign to those who didn't believe. They would say, wow, how's that happening? And I'd be able to say, well, God has given me this gift, and it would be a sign to those who don't believe. There's another tongue that is that of the spirit, a heavenly language. And if someone comes in and you're speaking, but nobody knows what you're saying, because it's not a language on earth, it's heavenly language, they're going to say, you're mad. You don't, you don't want to walk into that kind of situation. Has anyone ever been in that situation? What, what did you guys feel when you went into that situation? Come on, share. You're among family here. Have you ever brought someone who wasn't a believer to a, a church and they started doing that? Or were you a non-believer when you went to church? Were you guys believers when you went to that church and did that? Well, again, Paul is not saying that there is no gift. He's saying that if there's a gift, it has to be done in a certain way that is going to 
edify people. If no one understands, no one's getting edified. And so there are instructions of what's supposed to be done, and he's going to talk about that a little bit more next time uh, in that. But here, you know, we see that there is instances, and I know I've been in there, and I've actually had friends who weren't believers who went to a church. I was going to a Pentecostal church when I was in high school, my last part of high school, and every now and then we'd get an evangelist that would come in, and the evangelists were always entertaining. You know, the evangelists would always heighten things up, and, you know, that's when all the fun would begin. And I remember being, bringing a friend there, and this evangelist came, and I thought, oh, you know, and I remember she was just like, okay. You know, she was just looking down, and she was like almost laughing, you know, and it was just very disturbing to me because it was like I was bringing her to meet my friends and some people and hopefully hear this message of who Jesus is and she saw kind of what looked like a circus and the connection and, and I never saw her again you know um, ended that relationship you know um, but it was a good thing <laughs> it was a good thing because I got a better relationship later on um, the whole idea is it was uncomfortable. It was awkward and meaningless. And we have to be aware of that. Don't be childish. Just because someone's speaking in an unknown language doesn't mean it's a good thing for you. Remember what happened to this nation. They, they spoke and they were keeping you in bondage in a different tongue. Grow up in your thinking. And so it seems that there is one gift of tongues that's a language that is a sign for believers and there is another one that is a language that is between a person and God that's what I take it to be that's how I justify this passage based on the things that I shared with you guys earlier about the different kinds of tongues the diversity of tongues of men and of angels those things I believe that one is speaking of how you speak in, in a group in another language, like in Acts chapter 2. The other is the language of angels, if you would, or heavenly language, and people don't understand that. And if you're all doing that, they're going to think you're nuts because no one understands what's going on. And the idea of prophecy, the tricky part is in the first part, it says, verse 22, Tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. But then later on he says prophecy is for unbelievers. So how do you justify that one? Well, prophecy is actually for both. Prophecy does edify the believer, and it does give instruction to the non-believer. And again, there's different types of prophecy there is the foretelling which is talked about in the second portion giving instruction or telling about someone that they shouldn't know unless God reveals it and then there's the forth telling giving understanding of who God is that would edify a believer as well as a non-believer that's how I take it and so the different uses of that same gift because prophecy isn't just foretelling the future it's telling or declaring God's word, his words to the people. And that could be something that edifies both the believer and the unbeliever. Any questions on that? 
If you guys got no questions, I'm surprised. Uh, yes. I'm not sure if I'm fully understanding. So you're basically saying that, and, and I think I understand, it's been a while since I've heard MacArthur because I did listen to him to also on that. Well, I mean, actually, to use that analogy, I mean, we know that there are gifts of prophecy because we see them used in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. We see that there are gifts of knowledge that are given in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament that is something that is there. So I don't see that it's saying that the gifts aren't there at all. He is definitely exaggerating the gifts, you know, all mysteries. You know, he, he's going to the utmost of what that gift would be. But I think it's not saying that they're an illusion. You know, I, don't, I think it would be a mistake to say that if I could, you know, um, if I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge means that the gift of prophecy is an illusion because he goes on and talks about the gift of prophecy. And so he's not saying that it's not really a gift or that it's not real. He's just exaggerating the point of that gift to this fullest extent is not as sufficient as what love is. That's how I would take that portion. And I don't mind you disagreeing. Really, I don't. Because actually what I've portrayed is not completely what Calvary Chapel has portrayed. It's a little different as far as the different kinds of tongues. I've never heard Calvary teach on that. Um, I got that from Walter Martin. Um, made sense to me. We are very diverse, you know, in where we come from. And our involvement with the Lord, I mean, even in churches in other countries, the way they do things is a whole lot different than when, the way we do things. Um, you know, when we were in Haiti, I was a part of a little uh, worship gathering, and they were all just dancing and having a great time, you know. And it wasn't, it was normal, it, and it was a lot of fun, you know. It was, it was really a neat thing, I mean, because the kids, as well as the old men, everyone, it was the community just worshiping, and they went for hours. I mean, they just worshiped, and they were just going, and they were just going, and the music was awful, and the PA would cut off every now and then, but it didn't stop them at all. You know, the girl who was leading, she wasn't the best voice in the world, but she was leading this group of a couple hundred people, and they just kept going, and they didn't miss a beat. They just went, they went, and it was, if we were to do it here, it would be, it would be different. And we'd be all going, what's going on? You know, this isn't how we do things. But in there, boy, it fit like a glove. And there are those kinds of differences that need to be allowed. When you start involving yourself with other people, I think the precedent that Paul sets here should be a, a common one. Am I going to build people up or am I just building myself up? I think that should be common. If you go to a church where everybody's doing that and you feel like, hey, this is the way we are, okay. You know, if I go into, if I go into your kitchen, I'm going to eat your food, you know, kind of thing. I'll go there. I don't agree with it if I'm not going to bring my friend there because he's going to say you're mad. You know, that, that's my opinion of, of those things. But I hear people go in there and, you know, the Lord does it otherwise. I'm not going to limit God to what he's able to do. But for me, and I think for us, it would be good for us to think, what do I do and how will it build other people up? Because if it doesn't build other people up, why 
would I do that in a group setting? And if I'm going to start speaking in a language that no one understands, how is that going to build people up? That's why Paul says, pray that you can interpret. So that if you speak, you can tell people what you say. And I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I, I'm, and I'm just being honest with you guys. I, I've seen manipulation. And I've seen people utilize things and exalt themselves. And I don't trust people. I trust God. But I don't trust people all the time. And so I wonder sometimes if a person is just trying to exalt themselves and they'll pray out loud in tongue and then they'll, I got an interpretation, you know, and if, if the interpretation, if we can take that a person speaks to God, not to man, and that it's praises to God, and then a person speaks in tongue and then starts prophesying, do you say, well, that's a prophecy, but that's not an interpretation of a tongue? I think you have room to think that. I, I think that's legitimate. Um, again, I'm not going to be dogmatic. It just depends how things work out. You know, in the time that I've been at Calvary, it's been very rare that I've been in a situation where the gifts of tongues have ever been utilized in most Calvary chapels. Um, it would happen in afterglows, you know, women's retreats. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't there. Uh, but I can remember one time, it was a Sunday morning or Thursday night, and Chuck Smith was doing communion. And um, as they were doing communion, the elements had been passed out, and there was just a time, and it was just this beautiful silence. You know, it was just quiet, this huge room full of people, and it was just quiet, and it was really neat. And I was kind of, you know, peeking, because I like to know what's going on, and I was just like, Wow, okay, this is cool. And Chuck was up there, his eyes were closed, and Don McClure was up there, I remember. And all of a sudden, this lady started speaking in a tongue. She started going, oh, just going on. And immediately, Chuck broke out into song. Immediately, God bless, uh, you know, he just, and so all you've got a thousand people that just broke into the song, and this lady just disappeared. And I just thought, that was the coolest thing. Don McClure was just smiling. I remember I thought that was a pretty neat way to kind of change the direction instead of this going to the place where he didn't want it to go. He just started singing, and pretty soon you had a 1,000 people singing, and this lady, who knows where she was or what she was saying, but it didn't matter now because you had a 1,000 people singing. You know? And I thought, well, I know Calvary Chapel is predominantly a Pentecostal um, doctrinal belief, predominantly. It's kind of a hybrid, but a lot of it, it comes from a Pentecostal background. Um, but Chuck does not allow that to take place in his services. And he does those kinds of things so that it doesn't, because he feels it would be disruptive to what God is wanting to do in that service. And I agree. I agree. I've been in services where people break out and start speaking in tongues, and it bothers me. It makes me go, oh, what's that? You know, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. You know, I don't like that. I don't like things that I don't understand, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that it's not being done in a way that perhaps I'm able to receive. 
I have been in places where there's been someone who gives an utterance in tongues and then someone gives an interpretation and I thought, well, that was kind of neat. I've even heard people sing a song in a, a tongue, and I thought, well, that was really beautiful. I wonder what that meant. And then someone gives an interpretation, and I've been encouraged by that. And so I, I think it can happen. I'm not going to be close to it. Uh, but I believe the bottom line is we need to see and care about the edification of everybody. And if you're in a group, or you're in a group praying, if I was a person who you know, believed real strongly that the gift of tongues is something that should be exercised regularly. If I was in a group of people, I wouldn't speak out because I wouldn't think it would edify anyone. Just based on what we read, it seems clear to me. You know, we're going to go on next week and talk about, you know, some of the structure, how there has to be an interpretation that not everyone's to do it, but there's to be, you know, just a few at a time. And I remember talking to one of the pastors after a woman's retreat. And I said, okay, this is what I think it says. But, you know, a after the retreat, I was just thinking, so what, how do you look at this? Are we going to say anything? Because some ladies came up to me and said, what happened? What was that about? I went to this retreat and they all started singing. And, it, like, you know, it's probably the retreat you were at, Julie. Um, and I remember talking to the pastor and saying, are we good with that? Is that acceptable? Because what do we do with chapter 14 where it says there's to be an interpretation, two or three should speak, and only weigh out carefully what is said? I didn't get the idea that any of that was coming about. And to me, that needs to be there. If, if something like this, that's this, I don't know if the word volatile is the right word, something this expressive is going to take place and Paul is putting constraints so that it is done in a way that edifies shouldn't we take that to heart and, and I think that's really an important thing that we do because order in the worship service is what we're going to talk about next time is an important thing having order so that it's not crazy and it sounds like the Corinthians partied hardy Okay, it really did. It sounds, I mean, from their communion services where they would get drunk and they would just feast and gorge themselves to what Paul's kind of describing here and limiting here, it sounds like they had a, a hoot and nanny of a time, you know. I mean, they, they probably really got down and it was probably very exciting and entertaining and maybe the music was good. I don't know, but it was probably jumping. That place was probably, you know, really thumping and... and the bass was kicking, you know, and it was just really going. But Paul says, okay, you guys, how is this helping? How is this helping people? You can't be childish. I want you to be innocent concerning evil, but I want you to grow up and think of what is your purpose here. And so the gift of tongues has been a controversial issue for probably the most controversial issue the last hundred years. And I'm glad we settled it now and it's all... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think, you know, there is so much that I do not have definitive answers for, and that's why I gave you guys options, and I told you what I think and what I feel, but I'm not going to be dogmatic in a lot of things because I just don't think there's the place to be or the necessity to be in this matter. Paul is dealing with this to kind of rebuke and to structure, and why do we want to make this now the crux and you know, a focal point 
It sounds like this is something Paul is trying to control and we're trying to get it out of the bag, almost the opposite of what Paul was trying to do. Any questions, any more questions just on this? It seems throughout the book of Acts it's something that God prompted people to do. In other words, it's something that God did something among them, the Spirit fell upon them, and then they responded. So it seems to be God initiated, and then we respond to God's initiation. Um, that's how it takes place through the book of Acts. The way Paul describes it here in these chapters is in verse 32... Um, of chapter 14, he says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So Paul says that the person who has this gift is in control over this gift. In other words, they don't go into some kind of trance and just go off on their own, that they actually have the ability to control this gift that God gives to them. And so it seems like God imparts this gift, kind of provokes us in this gift, and then we respond in that gift. To me, that seems like coercive. It seems like you're trying to control those things, and that's not how we see that taking place in Scripture. Yeah. We see, you know, in Scripture, God, kind of the Spirit of God falls on a place, and then they start speaking in a, a tongue. But we do see Paul say that even when the Spirit of God falls on these people, they're still in control. That's a good question. Yes. Well, the way Chuck presents it, and he does it a number of ways, one of the things, he's, he feels that he is there to kind of keep the order of the service. There are people who aren't going to be able to hear one person speaking in a room for a thousand if she doesn't have a microphone. You know, so some people aren't going to understand what's going on. So he feels like instead of that person trying to lift up and then someone have to explain what's going on, it would cause confusion in that area. He also feels that if the Spirit of God is moving through him as he speaks or teaches, the Spirit of God's not going to interrupt himself. Well, actually it wasn't. It was a quiet time. But, yeah, but Chuck feels like he's kind of, in charge of how those things are going, I guess, at the moment. I actually thought the quiet was really nice. I thought it was kind of a peaceful thing. And when she started speaking, it was kind of like, what the heck was that? You know, and it was a change, a break. Um, no, it was in the main service. I think it was a Thursday night when they had, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, and the, the Spirit of God knows you know, what's going on in the environment and the temperature of that community. You know, the Spirit of God isn't going to go into, you know, the First Baptist Church, you know, or a Southern Baptist Church that's just against those things and say, I'm going to show them something here today. You know, the Spirit of God knows the minds and hearts of these people and of the pastor, the elders, and all that. Why would he go in there and cause, you know, again, how's that edifying? And if Chuck's desire is this, and the Spirit of God knows that Chuck is going to have, you know, control over this group of people. Someone's got to control a thousand people and how the service runs. And if Chuck is taking that leadership role, why would the Spirit of God prompt someone to do something that the Spirit of God already knows isn't going to happen in this setting? It, it's, I just don't think he's going to do that, you know. And it seems to me that that person really felt moved 
I'm not saying that what they did, you know, wasn't legitimate in their own heart, but maybe that's where it needed to stay in a group of people was in their own heart instead of trying to make it known. Maybe they just needed to pray quietly in their own heart. And so I, I just think God is big enough to know the temperature of the room and the community of those people. You know, as far as Genesis and the gifts of the Spirit, I, I believe in miracles. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But I move forward in caution because, again, I don't have confidence in people, but I do have confidence in God. Um, I, and I don't want to limit the work of God, but in the areas that it's going to be controversial or non-edifying or uncomfortable, then I'm not going to encourage those things. Uh, I would encourage everyone to ask God to give them the gift of tongues. Um, it's not something that we are going to exercise in a community service. Um, if it's a time of prayer, we might have opportunity for that to take place. I wouldn't be opposed to that in a smaller time of prayer. I'm not going to be opposed to anything in a controlled environment that God might be willing to do. Uh, at the same time, I'm not going to go around trying to encourage everyone to start speaking in tongues. From what I see, Paul is telling them, this isn't the most important gift. Prophecy is a lot more important. Declaring God's word, these other things. I mean, the list that he gives in chapter 12, when he talks, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Tongues and interpretation are at the bottom of the list. And most people believe they're at the bottom of the list because they're not the most useful. And so I'm not going to try and focus on what Paul here seems to be trying to take focus off, at least to me. Paul's not trying to promote this, but he's also not trying to extinguish it. And that's kind of what I want to hold. I don't want to extinguish it. I don't want to tell anyone, don't, don't seek the gift of tongues. It's not for today. I believe it is. I believe it's a legitimate gift that God can give and does give but I don't promote it in our gathering. I'm not looking forward to having a group together and we all speak in tongues, if that makes sense. I hope you're all cool with that. You know? if, if not, there's a lot of churches you can go to. Uh, they can, they'll sing and they'll dance and they'll do all those things. Dancing, I'm cool with. I just can't do it. Um, but this, speaking in tongues, it's controversial, and it's been that way for a long time. So next week, we'll touch a little bit more on it, as well as some other controversial things. All right. Well, I was harmless. I was expecting a lot more questions than that. But good. <laughs> yeah, now you guys know why I moved this to Thursdays. You know? Oh, I don't want to do this one on Sunday. Well, let's pray, you guys. We'll, we'll have some coffee and a couple of cookies. And Father, I do thank you that, Lord, you desire to build up your body. You desire to edify us. And God, you are not limited. Father, you can give us whatever you want. And I pray we would be open and receptive to it, Lord, that we would not limit you in any way. Father, we desire that you would be edified among us that you would be seen clearly, that we would encourage each other to 
seek you in every way, be open to all that you have, but be very aware of the need to take each other into consideration, to build each other up, and to not stumble each other in any way or cause each other to be uncomfortable or awkward. God, may we move forward with that balance, and may you continue to give us insight into these things, uh, enlighten our understanding. Father, I by no means know this fully, and even as Eileen has studied it for a period of time, I know I've studied it for years as well, Father, and I still sometimes say, I'm not sure what you're trying to get across, but God, it doesn't limit you from getting it across. It doesn't limit you from working, or even as Julie shared, Lord, taking fear out of her heart and bringing comfort instead in the midst of something that we might not be able to see as, well, this doesn't seem scripture. God, you're able to take care of it and work it out for the good anyway. Thank you for being so great and able to do these things. Lord, and I pray that you would move us forward to be able to encourage each other, to edify and build up one another, Lord, in this most holy faith. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.